It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Gabe DeArmond and Mitchell Forty here. It is uh, Eli Drinkwitz Day on the site. Mitchell had a long story from Coach's hometown. Now he joins us. On the podcast this week, Coach, I'm sorry you don't get – like, there's no reward. We don't have a key to the city or anything, but uh, I guess it, it's your day on Power Mizzou, so, so thanks for taking some time. Yeah, I'm waiting for uh, either, like, a free lunch or key to the city or something, yeah. but I, or maybe even just a subscription. Maybe y'all could just give me a subscription. We'll I, call it good. Huh? I, I could. I want to be clear that I've been told that's an NCAA violation, so we don't want to uh... – but, uh, oh, but, extra benefit? Yeah, something like that. Something yeah. like that. But, yeah. yeah, it sounds like a convenient excuse to me. Uh, yeah, pre- that's what I tell everybody. I tell my wife it's an NCAA violation to give her a free subscription. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but uh, spring football start, starts here on Saturday. So just, uh, I mean, how geared up are, are you and the staff for kind of the first one here in Columbia? Well, I think with anything new, there's always anticipation, excitement, nerves. Um you know, we, we all, every single person except for the new freshmen has been a part of a college football practice before. So, um, you know, we know what to expect from uh, our jobs. Um, but there's always a newness of, of new players, new coaches, how everybody's going to react. So I'm sure I won't sleep very well the night before. I'm sure I'll wake up and check my alarm clock three different times thinking I overslept. But uh, that's, that's, that's why you coach. It's because you love it and those kind of things. Eli, I know part of what you're uh, planning to bring to Missouri is a bit of a revamped offense. Uh, obviously, without getting into the specifics of, of how that's going to look, what, what's just kind of the, the timeline like for installing a, a new offense during the course of spring ball? Well, I, I mean, that's really our number two goal. Our number one goal is to player development. I mean, spring football is all about player development and, and letting our guys develop in their fundamentals and techniques that are going to help them be successful football players. But the second goal is to um, establish our DNA on offense, defense, and special teams. And that's the foundation of what you're going to do, you know, the foundation plays that you're going to call and run when the game's on the line. Um, you know, you gotta you got to be meticulous about it. you you got to make sure that everybody understands the reasons why. And when it's not right, you can't just keep adding on. you got to go back and fix it and um, – make sure you lay the foundation the right way. And I mean, there's going to be times when it looks good. There's going to be times when it looks bad, but you know, the, the one thing that I'm very experienced at is putting in this offense at new places. I've been able to do it at five different places over the course of my last eight years. And so um, I kind of have a good feel of, of how, how to get it installed and get it up running quickly. I'm curious your approach as you go into spring ball and, and really over this over these next nine months. I, I covered Gary Pinkle for 12 years, and the thing that always amazed me about him was is you if you ask Gary Pinkle on like February 10th, what's your October 19th look like? I mean, he had every minute mapped out. He knew practice 12, you know, 2:30. Here's what we're doing. It is it. it is that your approach, or are you a guy that that plans that far in advance, kind of every minute of every day? Um, I mean, we operate on an 18-month calendar, uh, if that's what you're asking. I mean, I know what a Tuesday is going to look like in the fall during the season. I know what a Wednesday is going to look like. I mean, we've got our 15 practices mapped out. We know what the installs are going to be. Um, 
you know, we know what the emphasis, whether it's a two-minute emphasis, third down emphasis, red zone emphasis, two-point emphasis, we have each one of those days mapped out. But then there's always flexibility to adjust, right? I mean, so if the, the minds of men plan their ways, but, uh, you know, uh, there's always change that has to happen. So, you know, practice nine right now is the first day after spring break. You know, we've got third down red zone emphasis, but if after practice eight, when we go on spring break, we don't feel like we're ready to continue to put in red zone third down, we need to go back to our base, then we'll be flexible enough to change that. Eli, I know one thing that pretty much everyone who has uh, come into orbit with Mizzou social media or, or uh, you know, anything like that has seen lately is uh, this slogan, New Zoo. It's, it's something that you all have really mm-hmm. put out there since you've taken over the job. I'm just curious, what what specifically does that mean to you? What are, what are, what goes into the new zoo? Yeah, I think for me, new zoo is, it, it, it embodies that there's only, there's still only one Mizzou and that's what makes this thing so special. So unique is the uniqueness of Mizzou and we're the state institution. We're the only program, a division one program within our state. When you play for Mizzou, you play for the state of Missouri and there's only one of those in the entire country, entire world. So there's a uniqueness factor to it. And the new zoo means uh, I'm never going to disparage what we've done in the past uh, or what happened in the past or what's gone on. All I know is it's a new day here, and we're trying to create our vision for our future, our team this year. And every year you have to recreate your own identity and recreate um, your expectations for performance. And so for us, new zoo wasn't about the past. It wasn't about the NCAA infractions. Uh, or the fact that we couldn't go to a bowl game, none of that really matters anymore. What matters is what we do from this moment forward in our staff and the chemistry that we're trying to create with this team, with our recruits and with our fans, and we're trying to create a new zoo. And that really is what that means. Kind of along those lines, Mitch is talking about social media, and and obviously you're very active. Um, I think it's pretty clear you you do your own – social media accounts and everything like that for the most part. And so I, I've had kind of this theory. You're you're really the first person who I've covered as a coach at Missouri who you started your coaching career, and really social media was either already a thing or would, would very quickly become one. I mean, even people like Conzo Martin, Robin Pinchton, when they started, they've had to kind of adapt to using this on the fly because it wasn't around when they started their coaching career. Do you think that that in this day and age and how important that is, that that's any sort of advantage for you, is that you never really were in a position like this when that didn't exist? Yeah, I'm I'm just kind of wondering if that was a backhanded compliment that you said I. it's clear that I'm uh, the one in charge of my Twitter because <laughs> the language. I, I, I mean, I think anybody would say it wrong. seems like you. You know? Yeah. No, that's that's okay. I mean, I, I get it. My wife always has to check it. Like today, <laughs> she didn't check. It. You know, when I put out the deal about going to see the students, and there's a lot of, you know, English errors in there, and I get it. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I tell you what, I created Twitter uh, in 2012 <laughs> when I got the job at at uh, Arkansas State. You created your Twitter, world. or you just created Twitter? No, Twitter account. My t- okay. Twitter account. Okay. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's an advantage or disadvantage. I do think there's something to being able to control your own message and create your own branding and message. And that's really all I'm trying to do is just be authentic of who I am and let people see that. Um, you know, I 
I have a, a tendency to, to be active on social media when, when my focus doesn't have to be strictly on football. I may not be as active during the season, but right now, I mean, everybody uses or utilizes social media in some way. Now, I haven't got into Snapchat or uh, TikTok or any of those yet. I, I don't necessarily know if I have enough time for that, but, uh, you know, Twitter and Facebook and Instagram have been a way that I can engage fans and people can get a, a better chance to embrace and understand what who I am and what we're about uh, with the new zoo. Gabe mentioned Gary Pinkle earlier, and I know he was the guy that you, you brought up in your introductory press conference and then were able to chat with him a little bit then. I'm curious if you've had a chance to continue to, to meet with him or talk with him and if there's anything in particular he's told you about this job that, that's kind of stuck with you. Um, you know, I've, 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 yes, obviously Coach Pinkle is a guy that, uh, you know, Mizzou is not Mizzou without all the contributions and successes that he's made, and I would be – um, crazy not to tap into that ability to to call him and bounce ideas off of him and, and stuff like that. I mean, I saw him last. I mean, I saw him Tuesday or Wednesday. We took a picture together for Special Olympics. Um, but you know, those conversations between me and Coach Pinkle are going to be private. And, and uh, but yeah, there's definitely a relationship there and an open line of communication. And I respect um, his ability to lead a program. And so I'm absolutely by no means do I have all the answers. And I think there's, uh, you know, wisdom in getting good counsel, and he would obviously be somebody that could provide good counsel for me. I know you, you've spent quite a bit of time over the last couple of months talking to various booster clubs and making appearances, meeting some of the fans. And I'm just curious, I, I always know that, look, winning games is the number one way to get people to buy into your program. But in these next few months before you actually play a game, I mean, how important is – maybe energizing a fan base that, that frankly over the last few years has, has probably lost a little of that momentum. Well, I think it all comes down, you know, it's chicken or the egg, you know, if you build it, they will come or do they come and then, and then it takes off. I think it's both, you know, I think um, creating an environment that uh, opponents fear to play in is something that we can do. Now it doesn't mean that every time we step on the field, that means we're going to win the game. It just means we're creating that environment creating an environment that when recruits step foot on campus, they realize that this is the place to be on Saturday and they're, they're sitting in front of uh, a sold out crowd in Columbia. That's going to be able to impact them for the rest of their life. If they are from the state, I mean, that's everybody involved and, and we can say, well, if you'll win, then they'll come. Well, if we want to win, we better get the recruits. So it, it all has to work together. And my mission, my job, what we're trying to do as a staff, is just create unity and a vision that everybody can get behind. Nothing, um, no, nothing good comes easy, and anything worthwhile takes time to build. So I don't necessarily know if it's fair to say, well, goodness, if, if we don't have you know an undefeated season this year, uh, then all this momentum's not going to work, or we're not going to be able to sell the, the crowd, you know, sell out the stadium. What I'm trying to do is create an atmosphere that we're all bought into and they see a, a program that's working every single day to represent this state um, the right way and to, to create a championship culture and team. And I think they work hand in hand and I think they work together in creating those. And we need the fans to do their part just like we're willing to do our part. And part of me going out and, and being wherever I can is I want them to know I'm doing my part and I need them to do their part. 
Kind of along those lines, uh, in addition to drawing in-state fans to, to support Missouri, you know, you all have talked a lot about the importance of getting Missouri kids to stay home. Um, just how, how specifically are you all kind of going about uh, really emphasizing the state of Missouri and recruiting? Well, I mean, we've got – every coach has an area in the state of Missouri that they're going to be active in recruiting, including myself. Um, and I think any time that you put that much emphasis on a state, then you're going to know who's in the state. Um, you know, I, I, I spoke at a high school event in St. Louis the other day. Just because we're recruiting the state doesn't mean we're just going to take kids. They have to be able to win the SEC East. All right, They have to be talented enough to help us win. Um, but what we got to do is make sure we identify those players and don't overlook them. And that's what we're trying to do. If, if we've got 10 people in the state and we've got myself in the state and we're active in recruiting, then we're going to be able to identify them and we're going to be able to um, say, yeah, we think this guy can play and help us win. Or we can say, you know what, we don't. And it's our judgment. I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's, that's what we get paid to do is make those judgment calls. And if we're not right, then – there'll be a new staff in here at some point. And if we are right, then we're doing it the way we, we want to do it. And so I told those guys, when I lay my head on the pillow, uh, when this thing's all said and done, I'm not going to lay my head on my pillow and be upset because I, oh, I shouldn't have taken these kids or I shouldn't have listened to this coach. I'm going to lay my head on the pillow and say, we either got it done or didn't get it done because we stuck to the values and principles that we said we were going to have as a staff. And that's what we're aiming to do. Last thing for you, Coach, and I know you've got things to do, but um, you mentioned your fifth fifth move in eight years. Just Is your family settled in, and, and how excited is your wife maybe that, that hey, this is a, a place you might be able to stay for, for a little bit longer than the last couple stays just because of the nature of, of being a head coach in a Power 5 conference? Yeah, I think that really that was one of the most exciting things about being able to make this decision and, and, and be able to, to, to tackle this job was – you know, my girls are at the point where um, hopefully we can be here long enough that they can say, when people ask them where they're from, they can say they're from Columbia, Missouri. And that's important to me, and it's important to my family. And we're absolutely getting settled in. I mean, it's a process. I mean, we know where Murray's is. We've been to the High V. We, we, we know where, where Andy's – we know where all the locations of Andy's are. We've tried Fluffy Butt Cookies. I've um, been downtown. I've had booches. I've um, – you know, tried both Shakespeare's locations. Can't always get into Lost Margarita South on a Saturday after a basketball game. Found that out the hard way. So we're getting acclimated to Columbia, and we're very excited about it. And can't wait to make it home. All right. Well, Eli, I appreciate you taking the time, and we will uh, see you here in about, uh, I don't know, 36 hours. Yeah, we'll see you out there. Keep your head on a swivel. There's going to be footballs flying around. I'd hate for one of y'all to catch one of the <laughs> As would we. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you. Hi, right, boys. All right, Eli Drinkwitz, head coach at uh, Mizzou. Spring football starts Saturday morning, 1030. I, I think there's, I don't know, 15 practices, 11 are open, including the spring game, something like that. We'll be at everyone. Um, we'll bring you as much as we can. Uh don't think we're going to have postseason basketball to distract us from that beyond I don't know next Thursday ish. Yeah. So uh, I want to get before we kind of transition, just give you a chance, Mitch, to kind of uh, 
promote and let everybody know about the story you wrote on Coach uh, this morning, kind of what went into that, and, and let everybody know it's a free story over at Power Mizzou. Yeah, well, first of all, if he's not getting into a restaurant around here, he's, he's doing it wrong. He hasn't lost the game yet. He's got to be able to flex those muscles and get in it at Lost Marks. Come yeah. on. Also, there's two other locations, Drake, what's, you know, just, just so you know Are if you listen really to this. Two? I think so. At least I'm pretty sure there are. I think there's three now. Anyway, yeah, so uh, when Missouri was playing basketball in, in Fayetteville, I swung over to Springdale, Arkansas, and Alma, Arkansas to chat with some people from uh, Eli Drinkwitz's past, and it was cool. Uh, it's really interesting. Alma is a, it's a really small town. I think it's about 5,800 people. You can just see the importance of football right away. I mean, the high school and the stadium are by far the nicest things in the town, and you know, talking to people, it's funny. It's like, on one hand, people kind of can't believe that one of their own there is now making $4 million yeah. a year and is, you know, leading an SEC I'm not program. Sure he can believe it, honestly. Right. right. And, but on the other, everyone's like, yeah, it's just the same old Eli. I mean, you know, he's kind of this dorky, smiling kid who, who's just had a really dynamic personality and who everyone always said, you know, okay, he's going to be someone someday. So uh, kind of talk about his unique journey through the coaching ranks. Obviously, he didn't play in college, but more than just that, he started off coaching seventh graders. Uh, he got turned down the first time he tried to be a high school head coach. And, and up until that point, his only goal was to coach in high school. So it was kind of a happy accident that led him to pursuing college. So uh, definitely check it out. Like Gabe said, it's free. And uh, it'll, it'll let you get to know Missouri's coach a little bit better. Yeah, the, my favorite quote, he says, when you're 5'11", wear glasses, and you're kind of dorky, you just need to figure out who you are. First of all, I kind of want to co-opt that. I might have to change the 5'11". <laughs> he does have the football, the athletic thing of maybe adding an inch or two to your yeah. bio. Yeah. Um, but, it, like, look, that goes into the Twitter stuff. Like, that's him. I mean, I, I really think this is a – I don't know if genuine is the right word, but, like, the guy that, that – does interviews with us that's on Twitter. I think that's really him, and I like that because I, I've been doing this 17 years. Gary Pinkle was one hell of a football coach, but I could write the press conference before it started. Mm -hmm. And then Barry Odom doing interviews kind of made Gary Pinkle seem like Mike Leach. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it was – we just – we haven't really covered a guy. I've always joked the best way to get Odom or Pinkle to talk about somebody was to ask about somebody else. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to see if he changes it all over a couple years in this. And some coaches do. Look, the first time there's a loss and it's, why'd you do this on third and seven? You know, then guys kind of shut down. But I'm interested to see how he is once practice starts and the season starts. Because I think he's going to be fun to cover. Yeah, absolutely. That was something actually several people I talked to for this story said. They're like, oh, get ready. You're going to you're gonna be in for some fun conversations. Now, yeah. it might change, like you said, when, you know, something gets printed that he doesn't love or, uh, or you know, interpreted a certain way, which can happen a lot of times when you're all of a sudden coaching Missouri versus Appalachian has State. Has happened already. Um, yeah, has happened already, yes. Um, and, and yeah, but I, I think, I think it'll be interesting. You know, he's, he's really, not only is he not afraid to show personality, I think he makes a point too. I think he wants, you know, fans to, to kind of get to know him. And I do think that'll kind of help, you know, build a little bit of excitement. Ultimately it's going to come down to, to the wins and losses, but you know, it can't hurt the position Missouri's in right now to have a guy who's not afraid to go out there and, and you know, buy all the boosters of beer at the Kansas right. City Tiger Club and, and really kind of shake hands and get to know people. There's only two ways you can win fans over. The first one is win a whole bunch of games. Like, Gary Pinkle did that. His first four years or so, everybody was like, this guy just keeps saying the same thing, and he keeps telling us it's going to work, but when's it going to work? And then it worked, and everybody loved him. Yeah. The other way, if you're not winning as many games, and like you said, look, 
I don't think it's real reasonable to think Missouri's going 12-0 and and playing in the SEC title game this right. year, right? So the other thing you can do is be a little bit of a salesman. And Missouri, I'm not sure they've had a coach in either major sport. who Like, I don't think that's Conzo. Um, he, he's not, you know, like he's, he's good. He, mm-hmm. he gives you good quotes and stuff, but I don't know that that you view him as a salesman. Certainly, Pinkle and Odom, their strengths weren't really the the salesman PR type uh, job. And again, you have to win games, but that can't be a bad thing for a program that just has to find something to get people interested again. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, spring football starts Saturday. We, we will do all that. I guess we will kind of spend the next 10 minutes or so wrapping up. Um, it, it just occurred to me, I saw something, so I went back and looked this morning. From 1970 to 2014, Missouri had four basketball seasons in which they won 15 games or fewer. And and that's really about the time where they started playing more than 25 games in a season. So you can start to to kind of, you know, draw parallels to what it is today. If Missouri doesn't win two more games, they're going to have the fifth season in six years where they haven't got to 16 wins. Uh, I mean, I know the low, low point was – you know, four through six years ago. But I think I'm not sure people appreciate that this is this is as down as it's been in a long time over this six year period. Yeah. And we talked about that a little bit a few weeks ago where, you know, that's just the concern is is the longer this kind of goes, the more it's impossible to kind of say, well, you know, Missouri does have this history. Like no no one's gonna remember or care that Missouri once, you know, was a perennial Big 8 contender and, and you know, won all those games under Norm Stewart and had a really solid program for a long time because it's they only know it as a team that's, you know, playing on the first night of the SEC tournament. Um, this season pretty much, you know, I mean, there's not really much more to be done. I don't think the postseason is, is you know, very a very viable option, either NIT or NCAA tournament. I think last night's loss pretty much dooms them to playing on Wednesday in Nashville. Um, you know, I, I just think at this point is it's it's really just you know who's coming back and who are they adding to the roster and can they take a step forward next year because they kind of have to. Yeah, and you know, last night like whatever. I mean, Ole Miss has been good at home this year, so mm-hmm. you credit them. But Missouri went into last night just saying, hey, if you can win two, you're not going to play on Wednesday. And then Vandy beat Alabama, and it became like pretty. Pretty straightforward. Just just go win two games. You're not playing on Wednesday. And then it was what Missouri basketball has been for the last six years. Not only did they lose, Arkansas beats LSU. A&M beats Auburn. Like, everything they needed to happen went the other way. And now they need four games to go their way on Saturday just to get the 10 seed. Right. Yeah, it's kind of comical, actually, how many times i've looked and we've had people talking and breaking down the the scenarios to like get like get a 10 versus 11 seed in a conference tournament i you know and and ultimately we understand it doesn't matter but it's what there is right so yeah i mean you know like yeah like you said i mean you know overall like last night's game is what it is it's you know there's two that's two relatively similar teams one who each beat each other on their home court neither doing big things you know this season it's just you when you when you kind of you know, you said it on Monday, step back and look. I mean, it's just been so long since there was much to get excited about, um, you know, for, for this program. And uh, and I think, obviously, we, you know, we've said it many, many times, the staff's going to get time to, to get it right, but it, it needs to happen sooner than later. Yeah, and it, 
I mean, look, if there's ever been a high major conference that the 11 seed could win the tournament, <laughs> this might be it. Because I saw a tweet this morning. I think there's one team in the league that's won two games in a row. I mean, it's a it, like everybody loses. I, I guess I wouldn't be shocked if Missouri was playing on Saturday or Sunday. I would be a little bit shocked. Um, but I, I'm more interested as of now, like you're planning to be in Nashville next week. So Monday night, horrendous tornado rolls through Nashville. Yes. I saw a story this morning. The first case of coronavirus has been reported in the state of Tennessee. Like, I think there are some definite things in flux about this tournament and like about how many people are going to go. Yeah. There's some omens that are, yeah, some kind of spooky omens. Uh, and, and like, look, we don't want to make light of no, either of those things. So no, that's no, not def- what we're doing. Definitely not. Especially the tornadoes. That was, that was definitely tragic. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, th- there's definitely, uh, oh, there's, there's never, you know, going to be a huge crowd at like Wednesday of this thing, early days. Uh, it's pretty much dependent on Kentucky fans just buying all the mm-hmm. tickets, but uh, that, that could definitely impact it. Now, Kentucky's still going to be really good. I don't know how many of their fans are going to be scared off by the coronavirus. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, the coronavirus is a whole other discussion that we probably won't have today. But, uh, right. but yeah, I don't. it's possible. Um, there's definitely, you know, talk of, of a lot of conferences and, and NCAA tournaments playing games without fans. I don't think it'll probably come to that. Uh, just saying that because it hasn't happened before in my lifetime, so I don't – know that this you know seems like it, it warrants it but yeah it's it's just kind of a weird vibe right now it's it's uh you know not only is the the chaos kind of on the floor where you know you've got teams like 12 through 3 kind of bunched up in the standings but there's a lot of questions surrounding the uh the ability to just have and watch the tournament as well well and you can't like look you can't really move the tournament it actually i, I remember what i can't remember what year it was but the sec network has actually done a documentary on this uh, it was in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and there was a tornado that basically flooded where they were playing. The Georgia Dome, And yeah. so overnight, they had to move things to Georgia Tech for the title game. Georgia actually ended up playing two games in one day and winning the tournament. Um, but I, I don't think you can just – like, you can't move the tournament to a new city. Right. That, that's not a thing that's going to happen. Yeah, um, no, I Bridgestone Arena is still there, so if yeah. they play the tournament, it's there. And – there's too much money in this stuff to talk about canceling a tournament. I mean, I guess, I don't know, theoretically, I, I guess you could see something where it's like, hey, no fans, no media, or Wednesday night's not happening, only mm-hmm. the, you know, the top 12. I, but I, I'm assuming this thing is going to happen. Yeah, I think it's going to happen. I think, uh, yeah, ESPN has the media rights. It's going to happen. Um, yeah, I just, you know, you said you wouldn't be, you'd be, surprised but not shocked if Missouri was playing on Saturday or Sunday. I think I would I would bet pretty much my life savings against it happening. <laughs> I mean, I would be surprised. Yeah. But I, who knows? I, and again, it, look, it it really doesn't matter because what last night's loss really did, they're, what, 14 and 16 now. Mm-hmm. And so they've got to win Saturday against Alabama. They've got to beat at this point, they almost want to play on Wednesday right. because they get another win theoretically over Vanderbilt, although I don't know that that's a gimme. So that puts you at 500. You still almost have to win two more and be 18 and 17 to have any chance at the at the NIT. Yeah. Uh, that's, I, I mean, th- this season's going to be, uh, by the time we do the next podcast, uh, there's max one more game left. Yeah, I think the gist of what we're trying to say is uh, there's really nothing left to play for this season. I right. mean, you know, they're going to play the conference tournament, and, and yes, you know, auto bids are handed out at the end of those, so it's worth tuning into. But, 
when we're talking about, you know, the stretches of scenarios of what has to happen to get the 10 seed and make the NIT, I think it's time to move on to next year. Yeah, it's time to move on to spring football and uh, and we'll ride that wave as long as it lasts. And then, uh, you know, midway through, we'll be like, all right, when's basketball start again? Because yep. it's still spring football. Um, so next Thursday, no podcast next Thursday. Mitchell will either be in Nashville or on his way back from Nashville I will be uh, in the midst of uh, spring football and and some other things. So we're going to take next week off. Uh, I don't. I can't think beyond seven days from now. We'll have another podcast at some point. Yeah, so please we'll, listen. We'll to be it. able to give some. I mean, there'll be a lot a lot of spring football coverage on the site. Um, you know, we'll we'll go heavy on that. Starts starts Saturday, and then there's like four practices a week, three or four practices a week for the next several weeks. So. Yeah, so uh, read Mitchell's story on Eli Drinkwitz uh, when you get done listening to this, and we'll talk to you next time.